listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. I wanted to start tonight by sharing a quick little story. And that's all it is, just a story about how when I first met with my teacher one-on-one, we call it an interview, or the, the Zen term for it is dokusan, which translates um, loosely to mean one mind. And it's when you go in and you sit down after you do these bows and so forth. It's very formal. It's a very formal ritual. And then you sit, you know, I guess in the in, in this little little room, I, I guess I'm about a meter away. That's it. Real close. Real close. And uh, so he uh, he's sitting there in meditation. And then I sit there. And what we're supposed to do is just wait until the question comes up. And when the question arises, you just kind of let it fly. And then you see where it all kind of turns into a conversation, turns into a dialogue and so forth. So I'm in this this dokusan, I'm in the dokusan room, and, and I'm sitting there. And um, I, in my life, I, I have not felt incredibly intimidated by a lot of people but this guy made I was shaking it was the weirdest thing he uh, just had this presence that I couldn't I, to this day I don't really have words for it it just it was really really powerful I guess the technical term for it in Eastern uh, religions is uh, they call it Shakti or something I mean, it's, it's just like just like uh, really nice wine or something. Just this, whoa, man, that's something else. Anyway, uh, I remember feeling scared and, and just like he could see right through me. And uh, I realized that whatever preconceptions I had, whatever ideas I had about uh, awakening were wrong were merely partial. They were just smidgens of whatever this magnificent truth could be. And it's all happened in that dialogue. And that relationship continued on for years and years and years where I would, as often as I could, I would just get in there to see him and just to see what would happen. You know, what kind of, kind of question is going to come up? Oftentimes it would be, you know, really big questions like, uh, you know, I just... You know, I'm, I'm thinking of breaking up with this girl girlfriend that I've had for a while. You know, or I'm uh, uh, I'm, I'm struggling with a particular way that the teaching corresponds to something else that's going on in my life. Is it okay for me to eat meat if I'm a Buddhist? Is it okay? You know, all these things. So some of them were really superficial, and some of them were really deep. And that dialogue. It's one of the coolest things about the tradition that I really like. As you guys know, I kind of veer off the traditional path pretty substantially, but it's one of the things I think is really valuable, that meeting, that interview, that where you just show up. 
and I think the biggest the biggest gift oddly enough that this uh, that this little man gave me as he would sit there and kind of stare at me with these, these you know big giant piercing blue eyes as he would just kind of look at me and kind of wait for my question the gift that he gave me was there was this massive recognition that whatever I thought whatever I thought I'll say this again was partial it wasn't the whole story it was not the whole story and that really sucked for my ego because my ego wanted to be able to control the experience, I wanted to be able to understand it, wanted to be able to get it, wanted to be able to, you know, uh, participate in it, and uh, you know, really be kind of a partner in this whole ascent up this mountain of spirit. It not only wanted to be a partner in the ascent, it wanted to capture the view for itself. It also wanted to come back down the mountain and reintegrate into a life where it was still in charge. And it just doesn't work that way. And that's where the teacher, for me, was so valuable. So valuable. So one of the key words in practice is the word with. biggest sense of me with what's beyond that sense. It's me with you. It's you with everyone else. It's big self with small self. It's, it's both and. That's how we come to this idea of a, a more complete story. That it's not just about uh, trying to manage the awakening experience for ego, okay? It's also not about just hanging out at the blissful summit, okay? It's about taking both of those two things, that in us, which uh, I used a metaphor before, it's, it's like a inside the house and recognizing that there's not only an interior to that house, but there's also an exterior to that house. Yeah? And that we are, in essence, that doorway that swings open and closed as we breathe. I don't know whose metaphor that is. I, I totally stole that from somebody, but it's that like a, a house cannot be a house unless there's an outside as well as an inside to it, right? And so what we're doing in this is recognizing that the interior is not the whole story, that there's a massive, infinite exterior. And as we start recognizing this exterior is infinite, we start seeing that it also is infinite in the interior as well, that infinity encompass encompasses both with, both and. So... It was really neat actually meeting with each and every single one of you tonight as we did uh, kind of speed docus on, uh, <laughs> worked right through the, the, the group here. 
and you guys got some stillness in, a, f a fair dose, a little bit more than usual. What I'd really like to do is I'd like to talk about it in terms that don't defile it. In other words, sometimes when, when something is so pure, have you ever noticed this? When something is just so pure that putting words to it just screws it up, it just, you can't. I had that experience um, the, the first time I saw a Van Gogh. Uh, I had the same experience actually at the uh, um, Museum of Modern Art in New York City when I sat in front of uh, water lilies. Now both of these paintings are in the same museum. And I remember I, I, passed, I passed by um, Starry, Starry Night first and it was just like, that may be the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And it's not that big. It's, you know, it's, it's like this. And to think what this guy was going through as he painted those swirls, you know? And it was just, it was breathtaking. And I happened to be with uh, a couple of buddies of mine. We were out, out from, from Berkeley. We were visiting some friends out at Princeton. So we took the day and we're like, you know, running through New York City and going to museums and so forth. And they both did this amazing job of not only um, picking it apart structurally, but then deconstructing it from Van Gogh's perspective, what he, you know, and there was all this chatter and talk, and I thought it was really interesting, but it seemed like they missed it. They missed something that was just so beautiful, that was just, shh, shh, don't, mm -mm, you know? And then I went and I saw water lilies, which is, you, you used to go around the corner, and it was, you had these benches that you could sit on, and that particular painting is these massive canvases. And just to sit in its presence, and the way it's blurry, I love that. I love it pro probably because I, I have such bad eyes. So it's like, ah, I'm at home. I don't need my glasses to really be able to <laughs> feel the, the essence of what uh, Monet was trying to communicate here. But it's the same thing. It's beyond the words. And so sometimes our experience, when we let our experience be beyond the words, and we can rest there. We can always add words later that somehow get close. They don't hit the mark, but they dance with it. goes through his life and just kind of dissolves form and goes back to the energy. You know, they cast animals and they, and, and so you don't really wonder why things end. It's just clear an experiment. It's more ridiculous from the God side up. It's like, oh, you all of a sudden think you're it? You, you're going to fight this other thing that I just cast you, this other drop? Mm -hmm. you, 
you're going to go and have a war or something? I mean, that's kind of cute. <laughs> you all come from the same stuff. Right. And, and sort of that realization helped me sort of, um, without, without putting the God up there, but yeah. to define for myself a little bit what the, um, the flow of energy that is infinity is versus what the form is that we're in in our egoic self. Yes. It's, it's very it, so. So the the book that you're reading, basically, uh, proposes through this this uh, Hindu mythology, that we are extensions of that divine energetic field, mm -hmm. and that something happens as little droplets. We we suddenly spring up uh, and grow and become humans, and something happens to those little droplets of energy that actually creates conflict? No, it, it was mainly around that this energy also needs the form yes. to be present. Yeah. It needs both. If it's just energy, there's nothing. Right. But it needs form. But the form mustn't think that it is it. So it, it has its own life, it's its own thing. It doesn't, it doesn't come back from this infinity. That's so cool, yeah. Yeah. So form with. 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 Formlessness. Yeah, sure, sure. So, so the question is, can I describe this infinite energy that the different wisdom traditions are pointing to? Essentially, what is it? Well, whatever I say is just a pointer, right? So, the pointer that I I'm most comfortable with because I think it's so descriptive is emptiness. Emptiness, space. Okay, so form is present, and it comes from emptiness. It is born from, I sometimes the image that, that I think is helpful sometimes is thinking of formlessness or emptiness as just this vast nature of nothing. And out of that nothing, something arises. Because nothing doesn't want to eat lunch alone. Okay? Out of nothing, stuff is born. And it dies back into nothing. Okay? When we don't incorporate nothingness into and with our somethingness, we have tremendous confusion. Because we believe our somethingness is the whole story. But the somethingness cannot exist without the nothingness. We can take this down to the subatomic level. If we are looking at, let's say we could, let's say we had a magnifying glass or, or, or microscope that was so powerful we could actually identify the electron clouds and the nucleus and everything, right? What would we find that the majority of that atom was made up of? Nothingness, right? Right? And it's because of that nothingness, miraculously, that the cloud, that the nucleus and everything can behave like a something in this case, an atom. 
So if we extrapolate, we go up a little further, we go from an atom or matter, okay? Uh, we, go, we go then into, say, atom, or excuse me, uh, uh, molecules. And from molecules, we can go into cells. And from, ce I mean, you get, pick your chain or whatever you want to look at, but we can, like, continually, we get to the human being, and what are we mostly made up of? Nothing. We are mostly empty. We are mostly space. Now, if we could take all that space out, there would be a small pile of stuff. I've always wondered what that would taste like. I have no idea why I'm sharing that with you, but <laughs> I remember when I did. I had my eighth grade uh, like chemistry teacher was saying, you know, now if we took all the atoms and we took, you know, just a little pile of dust, I was, I wonder, what <laughs> would it be sweet? Would it be, you know, it'd just be heavy? It's probably what it would be. Uh, regardless, I'm total tangent there. Both need each other. And so to carry that into another tradition, we're looking at yin and yang. We're looking at the Heart Sutra in, in Zen, which is form and emptiness, that whole discussion. They work with each other. And our work here is to recognize not only our somethingness, but also our nothingness. When we create uh, a dance between those two things. What do we get? Unawakened life. So that would be that would be the way I would describe it. But there, I, it, to be fair, there are lots of other people who I think are far more eloquent than I am that can probably nail that question in a way that might might make more sense. Just everything comes out of nothing and goes back to nothing. That's the rhythm. Yes, ma'am. Do I? Do I think the nothingness knows about us or, or cares? I think the nothingness absolutely couldn't care less, because the idea of caring is mind, and ego wants to feel like it's cared for. So ego will then create these amazing stories around how nothing is actually a something. And they'll give it a name. They'll call it God, or they'll call it the Great Spirit, or they'll call it Brahman, or they'll call it, right? And that people, certain people are plugged directly into that, but we can't, we can't do it, but they can. So Christ, Muhammad, the Buddha, any of these icons, any of these, these uh, archetypes, you know, they were able to plug into it, but we can't. Okay. Well, in fact, the minute we get beyond the idea, whatever idea we have about God, is the minute we can meet her or him or what is beyond her or him or the name God. But we have to get, we can't, in other words, Everything else is just a mind construct. It's just a story. The, it, for instance, if I say, for instance, picture God, everyone in this room will have a rudimentary picture of God that they formulated when they were a little kid and they've adjusted slightly. But it becomes an image. It becomes a thought. It becomes something that we can attach to, a story we can attach to. And that freaks ego out when it actually has to get beyond its own story of what it wants to see as real. 
really disconcerting. And wars are fought over this. Nothingness does not care about somethingness. Somethingness cares about itself. And yet here we are. You're right, we could. But then you'd never have the experience of spaghetti and meatballs. You'd never have the experience of pizza and beer. Are you saying that nothingness wants pizza? Am I saying nothingness what? <laughs> wants pizza and beer. No, the somethingness in me wants pizza and beer, but pizza and beer are actually a beautiful expression of nothingness. <laughs> Just like you are. You know what I mean? Probably not, but it, it, I don't even know what I'm saying there. But but it's it's think about think about i mean because what happens is the level of mind everything becomes this or that yes or no right or wrong black or white that's all on the level of what's inside the interior the small the minute we start blasting out through that we start recognizing we can watch that little the dualism and suddenly we're in a non-dual spaciousness and that non-dual does not care about right or wrong, yes, no. It, it's, not, it's beyond that. Now, from that place, from that kind of depth, when we bring that consciously back inside, okay, so to speak, back to what the small, our behavior becomes compassionate, spontaneously. We begin to flow. We begin to participate in the flow of life in a really, really deeply constructive way. Because the right and the wrong, the yes and the no, we see them as being partial truths to a story. We see them as being partial, so what do we do? We respond to both in ways that benefit all. And that might mean that we say no to somebody. It might also mean that we say absolutely but we become those agents of infinity because we've met it and we integrate it and now we express it. And that's how the universe doesn't have lunch alone. We are there to participate. We are there participating actively as infinity, with infinity, through infinity, to infinity. That's the type of human being that changes histories. That's the work of saints. That's in Buddhism we call that that's the work of a bodhisattva. It sounds like we're here because not I could take something. The, um, you mean even if it's in an ego free way. Even it even so we're here not to seek? Is that what you're saying? No, I That's, that's a different question. Okay. And I think you're right. I think nothingness, nothingness continually offers itself up to somethingness. And when somethingness gets a dose of that nothingness and it starts recognizing it as being more a more complete version, something it can dance with, that's when we have evolution. That's when there's expanse. That's when, and it becomes conscious. 
it becomes conscious of itself. When nothingness becomes conscious of itself through something, oh, and that's this work. That's the essence of this work. <laughs> Cake. Cake. <laughs> See you guys.